Chapter Fifteen of Seven Keys to Balpate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. Seven Keys to Balpate by Earl Der Biggers. Chapter Fifteen. Table Talk. The seventh key. Mister Magee thrilled at the mention of it so eliah quimby knew the identity of the mission of the man who hid in the annex did anyone else magee looked at the broad acreage of the major's face at the ancient lemon of max at bland's frightened and thoughtful at hayden's concerned but smiling did anyone else know ah oh, yes of course down the stairs the professor of comparative literature felt his way to food is dinner ready he asked peering about the candles flickered weakly as they fought the stronger shadows winter roared at the windows somewhere above a door crashed shut close to its final scene drew the drama at ball paid in mr magee knew it he could not have told why the others seemed to know it too in silence they waited while the hermit scurried along his dim way preparing the meal in silence they sat while miss norton and her mother descended once there was a little flurry of interest when miss thornhill and hayden met at the foot of the stairs myra hayden cried in heaven's name what does this mean unfortunately said the girl i know all it means and hayden fell back into the shadows finally the attitude of the hermit suggested that the dinner was ready i guess you might as well sit down he remarked it's all fixed what there is to fix this plate don't need a cook it needs a commissary department peters reproved mcgee that's hardly courteous to our guests living alone on the mountain replied the hermit from the dining-room door you get to have such a high regard for the truth you can't put courtesy first you want to but you haven't the heart the winter guests took their places at the table and the second december dinner at Baldpate inn got under way but not so genially as on the previous night did it progress on the faces of those about him mr magee noted worry and suspicion now and again menacing cold eyes were turned upon him evidently first in the thoughts of those at the table was a little package rich in treasure and evidently first in the thoughts of most of them as the probable holder of that package was mr magee himself several times he looked up to find max cat's like eyes upon him sinister and cruel behind the incongruous gold-trimmed glasses several times he saw hayden's eyes hostile and angry seek his face they were desperate they would stop at nothing mr magee felt that as the drama drew to its close they saw him and him alone between them and their golden desires before i came up here to be a hermit remarked cargan contemporaneously with the removal of the soup 
which i may say in passing i ain't been able to be with any success owing to the popularity of the sport on baldpate mountain there was never any candles on the table where i ate no sir i left them to the people up in the avenue to mr hayden and his kind that liked to work in dim surroundings i was always strong for a bright light on my foot what i am afraid of is that i'll get the habit up here and will be wanting charlie to set out a silver candelabrum with my lager candles be quite an innovation at charlie's wouldn't they lou too swell for charlie's commented mr max except after closing hours i've seen them in use there then but the idea wasn't glory and decoration i hope you don't dislike the candles mr cargan remarked miss norton they add such a lot to the romance of the affair don't you think i'm terrible thrilled by all this the rattling of the windows and the flickering light two lines of a poem keep running through my head my lord he followed after one who whispered in his ear the weeping of the candles and the wind is all i hear i don't know who the lord was nor what he followed perhaps the seventh key but the weeping candles and the wind seems so romantic and so like baldpate in to-night if i had a daughter your age commented cargan not unkindly she'd be at home reading laura jean levy by the fire and not chasing after romance on a mountain that would be the best for her i'm sure replied the girl sweetly for then she wouldn't be likely to find out things about her father that could prove disquieting dearie cried mrs norton no one else spoke but all looked at the mayor he was busily engaged with his foot smiling his amusement mr magee sought to direct the conversation into less personal channels we hear so much about romance especially since it's widely advertised that he said and to every man i ever met it meant something different mr cargan speaking as a broad-minded man of the world what does romance mean to you the mayor ran his fingers through his graying hair and considered seriously romance he reflected well i ain't much on the talk out of books but here's what i see when you say that word to me it's a night before the election and i am standing in the front window of the little room on main street where the boys can always find me down the street i hear the snarl and rumble of bands and pretty soon i see the yellow flicker of torches like the flicker of that candle and the bobbing of banners and then the boys march by all the boys pat doherty and bob larsen and matt sanders all the boys and when they get to my window they have their hats and cheer just a fat old man in that window but they'll go to the pavement with any guy that knocks him they're loyal they're for me and so they march by cheering and singing all the boys just for me to see and hear well that that is romance to me power translated mr magee yes sir cried the mayor i know i've got them 
all the reformers in the world can't spoil my thrill then they're mine i guess old napoleon knew that thrill i guess he was the greatest romancer the world ever knew when he marched over the mountains with his starving bunch and looked back and saw them in rags and suffering for him well i reckon old nap was as close to romance then as any man ever gets i wonder answered mr magee it came to him suddenly that in each person's definition of this intangible thing might lie exposed something on both character and calling at the far end of the table mrs norton's lying tired face met his gaze to her he put his question well she answered and her voice seemed softer than its wont i ain't thought much of that word for a good many years now when when i do say i seem to see myself sitting on our porch back home thirty years ago i've got on a simple little muslin dress and i'm as slender as elsie janice and the color in my cheeks is well it's the sort that norton likes and my hair but i am thinking of him of norton he's told me he wants to make me happy for life and i've about decided i'll let him try i see him coming up our front walk coming to call on me have i mentioned i've got a figure a real sweet figure that's about what romance means to me jude dear asked miss norton gently that's it dearie answered the old woman dreamily jude for a time those about the table sat in silence picturing no doubt the slender figure on the steps of that porch long ago not without a humorous sort of pity did they glance occasionally toward the woman whom norton had begged to make happy the professor of comparative literature was the first to break the silence the dictionary remarked academically could define romance as a species of fictitious writing originally composed in the romance dialect and afterward in prose but the dictionary is prosaic it has no soul shall i tell you what romance means to me i will i see a man toiling in a dim laboratory where there are strange fires and stranger odors night and day he experiments the love of his kind in his eyes a desire to help in his heart and then the golden moment the great moment in that quiet dreary cell the moment of the discovery a serum a formula what not he gives it to the world and a few of the sick are well again and a few of the sorrowful are glad romance means neither youth nor power to me it means service he bent his dim old eyes on his foot and mr magee gazed at him with a new wonder odd sentiments these from an old man who robbed fireplaces held up hermits and engaged in midnight conferences by the annex door more than ever magee was baffled enthralled amused now mr max leered about the table and contributed his unsavoury bit 
funny, ain't it?" he remarked. "The different things the same word means to a bunch of folks. Say romance to me, and I don't see no dim laboratory. I don't see nothin' dim. I see the brightest lights in the world, and the best food, and somebody, maybe, dancin' the latest freak dance in between the tables, and an orchestra playin' in the distance, classy dames all about, a taxi clickin' at the door, and me sendin' word to the chauffeur. Let her click till the milk carts rumble. I can't pay. Say, that sure is romance to me. Mr. Hayden, remarked Magee, are we to hear from you? Hayden hesitated and looked for a moment into the black eyes of Myra Thornhill. My idea has often been contradicted, he said, keeping his gaze on the girl. It may be again, but to me the greatest romance in the world is the romance of money-making. Dollar piling on dollar in the vaults of the man who started with a shoe, string, and hope, and nerve. I see him fighting for the first thousand, and then I see his pile growing, slowly at first, faster, 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 until a motor-car brings him to his office, and men speak his name with awe in the streets. Money, commented Miss Thornhill contemptuously. What an idea of romance for a man. I did not expect, replied Hayden, that my definition would pass unchallenged my past experiences he looked meaningly at the girl had led me to be prepared for that but it is my definition i spoke the truth you must give me credit for that i ain't one to blame you sneered cargan for wanting it notice when you do sidestep a lie yes i certainly see here cargan blazed hayden yes you did speak the truth put in miss thornhill hastily you mentioned one word in your definition it was a desecration to drag it in hope for me romance means only hope and i'm afraid there are pitiful number in the world to whom it means the same we ain't heard from the young woman who started all this fuss over a little word mr cargan reminded them that's right dearie said mrs norton you got to contribute yes agreed the girl with the locks crisped like a golden wire i will but it is hard one's ideas change so rapidly a moment ago if you had said romance to me i might have doubled of shady corners of whispering on the stir of walks down the mountain in the moonlight or even on the hotel balcony she smiled gaily at magee perhaps to-morrow too the word might mean such rapturous things to me but to-night life is too real and earnest to-night service professor bolton was right service is often romance it may mean the discovery of a serum it may mean so cruel a thing as the blighting of another life's romance she gazed steadily at the stolid cargan it may mean putting an end forever to those picturesque parades past the window of the little room of main street the room where the boys can always find the mayor of ruton 
Still she gazed steadily into Cargan's eyes, and with an amused smile the mayor gazed back. You couldn't be so cruel as that, he assured her easily. A nice, attractive girl like you. The dinner was at an end. Without a word, the slight little professor rose from the table and hurriedly ascended the stairs. Mr. Magee watched him disappear and resolved to follow quickly on his heels. But first, he paused to give his own version of the word under discussion. Strange, he remarked, that none of you gets the picture. I do. Romance. It is here, at your feet, in Volpate Inn. A man climbs the mountain to be alone with his thoughts, to forget the melodrama of life, to get away from the swift action of the world, and meditate. He's alone for very near an hour. Then a telephone bell tinkles and a youth rises out of the dark to prate of a lost Arabella and haberdashery. A shot rings out, as the immemorial custom with shots, and in comes a professor of comparative literature with a perforation in his derby hat. A professional hermit arrives to teach the amateur the fine points of the game. A charming maid comes in, too late for breakfast, but in plenty of time for walks on the balcony in the moonlight. The mayor of a municipality condescends to stay for dinner. A battle in the snow ensues. There is a weird talk of a sum of money. More guests arrive. Dark hints of a seventh key. Why, bless you, you needn't steer from Baldpate Inn in search of your romance. He crossed the floor hastily and put one foot on the lower step of Baldpate's grand stairway. He kept it there, for from the shadows of the landing Professor Bolton emerged, his blasted derby once more on his head, his overcoat buttoned tight, his earmuffs in place, his travelling bag and green umbrella in tow. What, Professor, cried McGee, you're leaving? Now, truly, the end of the drama had come. Mr. McGee felt his heart beat wildly. What was the end to be? What did this calm departure mean? Surely the little man descending the stair was not. Daniel-like, trusting himself into this lion's den with the precious package in his possession? Yes, the old man was saying slowly. I am about to leave. The decision came suddenly. I am sorry to go. Certainly I have enjoyed these chance meetings. See here, Doc said Mr. Bland uneasily, feeling of his purple tie. You're not going back and let them reporters have another fling at you? I fear I must, replied the old man. My duty calls. Yes, they will hound me. I shall hear much of peroxide blowns. I shall be asked again to name the ten greatest in history. A difficult, not to say dangerous, task. But I must face the er uh, music, as the vulgar expression goes. I bid you good bye, Mr. Bland. We part friends, I am sure. Again, be comforted by the thought that I do not hold the ruined derby against you. Even though, as I have remarked with unpleasant truth, 
the honorarium of a professor at our university is not large he turned to mcgee i regret more than i can say he continued parting from you my eyes fell upon you first on entering this place we have had exciting times together my dear miss norton knowing you has refreshed an old man's heart i might compare you to another with yellow locks but i leave that to my younger er colleagues mr cargan good-bye my acquaintance with you i shall always look back on but the mayor of Ruton, max and bland closed in on the old man now look here doc interrupted cargan you're bluffing do you get me you're trying to put something over i don't want to be rough i like you but i got to get a glimpse at the inside of that satchel and i got to examine your personal makeup a bit dear dear smiled professor bolton you don't think i would steal a man in my position absurd look through my poor luggage if you desire you will find nothing but the usual appurtenances of travel he stood docilely in the middle of the floor and blinked at the group around him mr magee waited to hear no more it was quite apparent that this wise little man carried no package widely sought but Volpate's winter guests quietly and quickly magee disappeared up the broad stair and tried the professor's door it was locked inside he could hear a window banging back and forth in the storm he ran through number seven and out upon the snow-covered balcony there he bumped full into a shadowy figure hurrying in the opposite direction End of chapter fifteen recording by Gabby Cowan.